Hi there, and thank you for finding this week's Encounter Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy it and are blessed by it. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? My name is Jared, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I just love this moment of the day. I get to get up and and, uh, share what I feel like God has put on my heart. And Every Sunday, we get to see new faces in the crowd, and it's just so exciting to see what God is doing. Uh, Today, we're starting a brand new series called Reset, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, I just want to kind of talk about real quick a couple, two small things. First, as you saw the video for our big hunt, we are so excited about this event. If any of you were in Lawrenceville last year and and, uh, before we launched our church, you might have even heard of this. Or uh, We did one last year. A year ago in March, we did our first annual big hunt and we had 400 people come to the egg hunt in Arsenal Park right out there. And uh, people even then were saying, oh, where's your church? And we, at the time, we said, oh, well, we're just a group getting ready to launch this church. You know, we're having meetings and things and like that, but we couldn't tell them where to go. Well, this year, I'm so excited because we're planning for 600 people this year, and we're going to have 3,000 eggs. We're going to have, I think, something like 300 hot dogs or maybe 400 hot dogs. We're going to be doing face painting. There's going to be a bounce house. There's going to be um, uh, a craft station for kids. Uh, guys, I'm telling you, this is going to be an awesome event, and all of it, every bit of it is free to the families who come. And uh, this is just an opportunity for us as a church to love our community. And then at that, I'm so excited because we actually get to invite people to church the next morning. We'll be able to just point over and say, come and meet us right there tomorrow morning. Um, it's going to be great. Easter is going to be huge. We're doing um, a bunch of giveaways. We're going to be giving away an iPad mini on uh, Easter Sunday and some gift cards as well. So invite your friends. And then the very following Sunday is going to be our very first black and gold Sunday, which is uh, it's a lot of fun. We've done this in some of our other churches where you can wear your favorite Pittsburgh professional sports team gear, whether it be the Pirates or the Penguins or Steelers gear. We're going to have a tailgate party after church on that Sunday, and then we're going to be giving away some Pirates tickets. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, guys, so Easter and the week after, invite your friends, invite your family, um, and that's coming. So the Big Hunt. But we need your help uh, at the Big Hunt to make this event a success. So we have signups right out at the Connection Center. There's a sign-up sheet with different stations. If you could volunteer that day, we're going to be there from 9 until 2, and the event's from 11 to 1, but from 9 o'clock till 2, we just have, you know, volunteering and stuff. So if you want to do that, uh, sign up at the Connection Center, and also we're asking for donations of candy. You can find out more about that at the Connection Center as well. The other thing I want to talk about real quick before we get into the message is Starting Point. I am really excited about Starting Point. That is this afternoon, right after church at 1130. Now, um, your program does say 12, but uh, we kind of did some evaluation, and we're going to go ahead and move to to 1130 because we want as many people as possible to stay. So right after service... Uh, at 1130, down the big hall is room 23. We're going to be meeting in there. We have lunch provided for you. Starting point is the place for you to find out more about Encounter Church. If you've been coming for a few weeks, kind of kicking the tires, like what's this place all about? Encounter Church, a starting point is the place where you can find out about Encounter. We're going to tell you our story, tell you about our vision for what God wants to do in Lawrenceville and the rest of Pittsburgh. We have lunch for you, and then we can talk about how you can get plugged into our dream team. Uh, guys, you don't want to miss it today, and it's the first Sunday of every month, so it'll happen again next month if you can't make it, but I encourage you, if you can today, you're already in the building, right? Come on out, starting point, right after service at 1130. I'm going to be teaching it personally, so I mean, who doesn't want to hear me, right? So, so, uh, okay, so we're going to get started with with our new series, Reset. Today's sermon message is entitled, The Problem. 
We have a problem. There is a problem in our world. There is a disease that is running rampant all over our world. And I think you can see it, right? There's shades of it. Sometimes if you look closely, you can see it in your own life. Other times you can look around and see that our problem, this, this disease, is running rampant around our world and causing massive destruction. What am I talking about? There's, there's this disease that causes, it causes anger. It causes violence. It causes hatred. It's this, this problem that we see all over the place that, you know, we see people who hate each other. We see selfishness. We see self-centeredness. We see it everywhere we go and it permeates everything inside of us. It's, it's just like this. There's a song that I heard by a group that I like uh, called We Came as Romans. And this song, the, the words actually in it say, this is the venom in my veins. And that's what it's like. There is this disease, this virus that is just permeating all throughout our society, all throughout our world. And it just courses through our veins and it causes us to treat people in ways we would never want to be treated. And it, and it leaves us with these emotions. I mean, the way that we treat each other ultimately brings us to things like shame and abandonment, hurts, loneliness, brokenness. The way that we treat other people, the way that even though we don't intentionally, we would say, I would never want my family to, be, to feel hurt or to feel ashamed or to feel lonely. But we do because of, of the reactions of the, just the consequences of our actions. The things that we do inadvertently, the things that we don't mean to do or the things that we don't want to do. We are often left with hurt and with pain and with sadness and depression and loneliness and all of these things. All of these things are left inside of us because of this disease, this problem that runs rampant in our world. Then you might say, what, what exactly are we talking about? I want to I give you a high-level view of, the, the, of just the worst possible version of the, the reason that we're talking about this today. What does this problem look like in our world? Here's some t- statistics after I did some, some research today. At least 80% of the world's population lives on $10 or less a day. 22,000 children die every day due to poverty. Nearly one billion, billion, one-sixth of the world entered the 21st century unable to read a book or even sign their own name. That's world. That's the global level. But in the United States, 49 million Americans live in food insecure homes. 31 of them, 31 million are adults and 15 million of them are children. In 2012, in our country alone, there were over one million violent crimes in our country. One murder every 35 minutes, one rape every six minutes, and one robbery every one and a half minutes. Now, I would say that there is a problem. We have an issue. And you would say, but I didn't cause any of that. Like, I didn't. It's not like I go out and have killed people. I didn't do these things. No, no, you didn't. But but I think there's, if, if what we're going to find today is that there is this, there is a problem, there is a disease that, that lives inside of each of us that is ultimately, if left unchecked, turns into these problems. So we'll start with an example from my own life, just a small one. You'd be like, so maybe help it kind of come down to a personal level. <laughs> when I was a teenager, this disease, this, this struggle inside of me, you know, oftentimes manifested itself in manipulation. I don't know if any of you can identify with this, but one time I was grounded for doing something. I don't know. I did a lot of things that I got grounded for often as a teenager. But 
My parents told me, Jared, you are no longer allowed to be on the phone. You are grounded from being on the phone in the house, right? So I was not allowed to be on the phone. I was a teenager. Everybody wants to be on their phones when they're a teenager and talking to their friends. And so my parents leave for the day. Remember, Jared, you're not allowed to be on the phone in the house. I said, okay, fine, whatever. Now, this is before cell phones. I think I had my beeper at the time. I had a little pager, <laughs> if any of you remember those. Um, my parents come home after a few hours of being out. And where do they find me? On the back deck of our porch, on the back porch of our house with the phone, the cordless phone, talking on the phone. And my parents were livid. Jared Frank Lanza, what were you doing? We told you you are not allowed to be on the phone. You are grounded from the phone. And I said, you told me that I'm not allowed to be on the phone in the house. I'm not in the house. I am outside on the porch. My parents, my parents were so angry and then, you know, and, and they kind of were in a way, they were dumbfounded because they're like, wow, what do I say to that? Because it's true. They did say, I'm not allowed to be on the phone in the house, but I manipulated what I wanted to hear to get what I wanted out of it. Now, I will tell you that uh, what goes around comes around, right? There is a biblical, there is a biblical mandate or a, a principle that we see where it says, what you reap is what you sow, right? I sowed into manipulation. And so what happens to me, my son Lincoln does the same thing. He tells me this all the time. I'll say, Lincoln, what are you doing? You know you're not supposed to do that. And Lincoln says, but dad, you told me that I couldn't do it here or do this there. Like, you know, and what is that though? I mean, it's a funny story, but it's, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. It's this, this thing that lives inside of us that ultimately, like it, in me, oftentimes it, shows, it showed up in manipulation. It's, it's like, like working situations to get what I want. And that's selfishness, right? That's taking something that was not meant to be and making it and twisting it for my own gains. So I think that's how it shows up in my own life. But what about in your life? What about in your life? Think about parents. I mean, Again, you might say, okay, all of these worldwide problems, this United States, this large issue that we have of all the problems, the violence and, 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 um, and just anger and hatred and the shame and all these things, I didn't cause that, right? You say, I didn't, Jared, you didn't. That story, you know, you didn't hurt anybody else. But is that true? Think about it in our own lives as parents, maybe. You, you would say, I, you know, my kids, the way that I treat them, they are being raised by me and by you as parents, and they understand the world, the way the world works, how things should be based off of how you treat them and how, how, you, how you teach them. And what about their education? How many parents around, and I'm not saying you, but think about this. Imagine how many parents you see, and I, especially living in the city. If you live inside the city, you see this a lot. You go and take kids to the, your kids to the bus stop maybe, but then you see kids there without their parents. And then the parents are telling you, the teachers at school are telling you that, you know, like that, that there are kids who they never hear from their parents at all, you know, and that their kids, you know, can barely read and that they're just kind of getting passed along to the next level, you know, because there's really nothing else that they can do with them, but they're, they're not doing well in school because their parents aren't involved or their parents aren't teaching them, right? So now we have a generation of kids growing up because their parents you know, we're either too busy watching TV or not paying attention or dealing with their own relationship problems, right? Or maybe it's just something as simple as all parents understand. You get frustrated, you get angry, and you yell at your kids, and you, you go beyond the level that you, this place, the line. You say, I'm not going to cross this line, but every day or every other day something happens, and you find yourself crossing that line where you yell at your kids, you get so upset with them, and then you feel guilty about it because you did it, but it happens. This is what it's like being a parent, 
Or what about like, you know, somebody who's in their early 20s or their early 30s, you know, living life, you know, there's, there's this, this idea of I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do things the way that I want to do them. This sort of like this recklessness. It's like life is meant to be an adventure. You hear it all the time on TV and all the time in movies, right? Like I, I remember I was watching a movie and this lady was saying, and my college years were ruined because of you. Like I couldn't do this or that. And she's like, and then she was talking about sex particularly. She was saying like, like college is when you're supposed to have sex, right? Like that's the whole, this is mentality of like that in your 20s and in your 30s, that's like that's when everything is meant to be lived. Like adventure and like do everything for fun. And it's like, who cares what the costs are? I'm just gonna do my own thing. Like you might not say that, but there's this, this drive inside of you that says, like, like I'm going to live my life you know, no matter what the costs, right? That's, that's sort of this idea. I mean, casual sex is a perfect example of this, this concept. You may be thinking, it's just my body. I'm just doing like, what feels good or what, you know, what I feel like I need. But you, what you don't realize is that the inside of you, you are damaging other people's emotions and you're damaging your own. And when you finally find the person that you are meant to be with, the person that you can marry and love, you're going to struggle with intimacy. And I'm just being honest with you guys because I struggled with this. I dealt with this in my early, my teenage years, in my early 20s. Like I just, the emotional wreckage that is inside of you when you are being intimate with somebody, when you don't have like this, this sort of connection in the bonds of marriage. It's just, and that's something that a lot of 20s and 30s deal with. This problem of wanting to like live for yourself, driven for your careers. You know, it's just like at all costs, I'm going after life with everything. And there is something to be said. There is good things to be said about, about, you know, going after life with passion. But there's this disease inside of us that twists all of it for our own personal gain. Same thing happens with teenagers. Teenagers are known to be, you know, to, are known to be selfish in our own right, right? When I was a teenager, like all I wanted, all I thought was myself. Like, well, why can't I stay out till three in the morning, you know? Or why can't I, you know, my mom would tell me I can't do this or do that. And I was always so frustrated that like I wanted to do everything. Even if there were problems, like if I... If, 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 if whatever I was deciding to do or I wanted to do, I knew it would hurt somebody else, more often than not, if you gave me the choice, I would choose to do what I wanted to do. I mean, there were times where my parents, you know, would say, Jared, look, you know, we, we're not going to tell you what to do in this circumstance, but listen, we don't want you to do it and we think it would hurt you and it's going to hurt the rest of this family. What did I do? I went and did what I wanted to do, right? That is the mark of a teenager, you know, that, that idea. Choices, vanity, selfies. <laughs> selfies are everywhere right now. And that's not just with teenagers. That's everyone. Why? What is this? It's like this idea of wanting to fit in. It's this, this idea, this wanting to, to be a part of something, but, to, but it's not about like wanting to fit in. When you get on Instagram and you post a picture of yourself, you know, like, you know, ladies, okay, hear me, right? You post a picture of yourself, you unbutton your shirt a little bit and you're kind of like on there and you do the little duck face thing. And you know, what are you doing? You want likes, right? You want 58 likes or 72 likes or guys, right? You know, you know, when you're taking pictures, I don't know what guys do. I don't know how you like take a picture with your arm like this or something. I don't know. But like whatever it is that you do, that's what guys want. Guys and girls, you're taking these selfies and these pictures because you want to be liked. There's something inside of you that says, I need to feel like I have purpose. I need to feel like I belong. There is this problem that we deal with. What about empty nesters? There's another group I was trying to think of people. How do we all deal with this? You know, people who have their parents who have, who have their kids are no longer in the home anymore. You know, and now they sometimes can struggle with things like loneliness or, or feeling like I don't really know what my purpose is any longer. 
because I've, because I've been, for the last 20 years, giving my life to my children, and now I'm sort of like left with this. My mom and dad deal with this. I hear them talking about how they kind of feel lonely sometimes because they don't have the ability anymore to like, they're not seeing their kids every day. And then I see it on the TV, right? So that's not necessarily, that's not like a bad thing, but the idea of this idea that we feel like we need, we have, we, we're lacking purpose, we lack drive in our lives. But then you see this on TV, right? They, all those retirement commercials, you know, like, like the guy following along on the green, little green arrow that takes him to his financial destination. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about, Prudential or somebody, I don't know. But like, it's this idea that you have paid your dues to life and now you can just say, forget it, I'm going to sell everything, I'm going to pick up in an RV and travel across the country and do what I want. I don't need, you know, you've earned the right to like check out of society. That's like basically what it's saying, right? Now I don't have, again, hear me, I'm not saying that like being driven in life or being passionate about life or even having a retirement is a problem. What I am saying is that the motives behind it, the things that drive us is driven by this, this disease that just warps us inside. But here's what I want you to understand, because you're going to, I think maybe there's, this, there's this, this, this dissonance in your head. You're like, I see it, but I still don't have this connection to like these worldwide issues, these problems. And here it is right here. This is what I want you to understand. Our world, this is on the screen, our world and our community is the sum of each of our choices. That is not it. <laughs> Our world and our community is the sum of each of our choices. So you would say, well, I didn't kill someone. No, you didn't kill someone. But maybe, like, that kid who grew up to be the murderer grew up in a home where his parents didn't teach him the right way. Or he had things happen to him in his life because other people, you know? Or, like, the bullies, right? So, and I'm not trying to, so hear me, I'm not trying to... To, to defend the people who, you know, at the, the shooting out in, in um, was it Colorado, I think, last year, or with the, in the movie theater, and then the Sandy Hook thing, okay? Like, they're horrible, tragic events, and that person deserves and needs to be punished for their crimes, right? But they did not act in a vacuum, is what I'm trying to say. Our lives are the sum, our community, our world is the sum of our choices. And we are not alone in the fact that, like, you grow up in this, in this society. This person didn't get born, wasn't born a murderer. His life pushed him to that way because of the people that they were influenced. All the time, you hear about all these people who do these terrible acts. And I'm not just talking about murder. We're talking about bank robbers. We're talking about people who beat their wives. We're talking about husbands who walk out on their kids and their, their families. We're talking about all the things that cause the problems in our world. Those people who do these heinous, tragic crimes or these tragic things, they didn't, they were not born that way. They became that way because of the choices that other people made that affected them in their life. And they didn't take the right path. They didn't choose it. They didn't get connected to the right places to, to curb it back onto the right path. I'm not defending them, but they are also not the only people involved. We are all responsible for the world that we live in. There is a problem. Now we'll go to the Metallica thing. I always try to find ways to bring Metallica into my messages. I just love them. They're like my favorite band. And they wrote a song in 1997. They came out with a, uh, an album called Load. And the, one of the songs on the album was called Cure. And it says this. It says, betting on the cure, because it must get better than this. This is Metallica saying it has got to be better than this. Betting on the cure, everyone's got to have the sickness because everyone seems to need the cure. So this is Metallica. This is a band that goes around telling millions of people that 
the world is messed up and broken. And they're saying, we have got to find a cure for this problem. That's the gospel of Metallica right there. We need a reset. We need to start over. We need to find a way to be able to begin again. But first, we have to understand the problem. And fortunately, fortunately, there was a man in the Bible named Paul who talks a lot about this problem in Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, would you take them out? Or if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can open up to Romans chapter 7 and follow along with me. And you have notes in your program as well if you would like to follow along and fill in some of the blanks. But today we're just going to take a quick journey through this passage and um, follow me, guys. Like, I know this is not the happiest of messages. I promise the rest of the series gets a little bit more hopeful. <laughs> today is, is setting it up. Today is the problem. Next week is the solution. But we're going to hit on it a little bit today. So Romans chapter 7, verses 14 is where we're going to start. So this is Paul talking about this disease in his life. He says, so the problem, the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. Now, real quick, I want to pause here. The law, okay? If you're familiar with Moses and how uh, God helped Moses free the, the Israelites from Egypt, and they went into the wilderness, and that's where God gave them the law. The law of Moses is what it's known as. That law was just the rules. The Ten Commandments were part of that law, and there was other things that was to guide them in life principles, okay? So he's talking about that law. He says, so the trouble is not the law, because he's obviously having trouble obeying it. He says, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am, and I love this, all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, Paul says, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I do what I hate. So what he's saying here is there's a problem There is a dilemma here. He's like, I recognize that the law is good. Like, I know what I should do in life. I know, like, the good things, but what I find myself doing instead is the things that I hate. Can you identify with that? Can you identify the struggles, the things that you do, the things that you you hate the most about yourself, the things that you do over and over and over again, how you hurt people when you don't mean to? That's what he's talking about here. You become the worst version of yourself. I'll admit to you guys, I struggle with this. I yell at my kids way too much. I would, I would love to never yell at my kids, ever. But I'm a human being that, that struggles with this, and, and they push me sometimes beyond the brink. I mean, if you've ever stolen anything in your life from a store or whatever, you know, and afterwards you feel guilty, you know what I'm talking about. It's this idea of, there, I know I don't want to, Maybe, maybe it's guys. Maybe you're thinking, I'm just going to get real, get raw with you guys, okay? As my old pastor Jack would say, get raw, all right? Listen to me. Guys, like pornography is another example of this. Like this struggle in your mind, right? It's this, 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 this lustful desire, especially if you're married or you're, you're in a relationship, a committed relationship. Like it does nothing but separate you and drive a wedge between you and the person that you love, because now, now that female becomes a, a, a tool. It becomes a, a, a toy instead of, or an object instead of being a person. And it can be anything. It can be for females. It can be magazines. You know, it's like, it's this like constantly comparing yourself to Kim Kardashian or to anybody else who maybe you, you know, you look at and you feel like I'm not that person. And then you, you find yourself doing it over and over again or lying to people or whatever it is. We can become the worst versions of ourselves, And Paul is saying, I struggle with this. Verse 16. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So he's drawing a comparison. He's saying, okay, 
I realize that there is this sinful nature, this disease that's running rampant in me, but at the same time I can recognize that there's a problem. Verse 17, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that, is, does, that does it. Verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. In my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me. Now, he's drawing, what he's doing here is he's drawing a comparison. He's saying that as a Christian, as a believer, and we're going to talk about this in a little, in a minute, as a believer, we have the ability to recognize the difference between right and wrong. When we have the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us, we have the ability to know that my sinful nature is the thing that's forcing me to do it. He is not saying that you are not accountable for your actions. It's not like you can be like, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. You know, or it's not like you can say, well, I beat up that guy over there. I had no control over it. It was the sin living in me. There is this, like, you, your body, you are, still, um, you are still accountable for your choices. But there are two natures. What he's doing is he's drawing a picture here. There's, a, there's this tension that lives inside of us between right and wrong. And until you have a relationship with Christ, until his spirit regenerates that part of your body that is dead, the soul that lives inside of you, until that's regenerated, you have absolutely zero hope of becoming the person that you want to be. There is a little tiny vestige of what's right and wrong living inside of us. And that's the conscience that that God uses to try to tell us, you need to have a relationship with me. There was a guy named Lawrence Richards who, writes, uh, who wrote a, a commentary, and as I was studying this week, he said this about our nature. Listen to this. This is, this is just, it's really good. But he's talking about this nature, this disease that lives inside of us. He says, the Bible speaks very bluntly about human sin nature. This is an inbred tendency to sin which warps and distorts the human personality. Human nature which in the original creation reflected the character of God himself. So he's saying, like, in the beginning, God created us, and we were reflecting God's character. We were full of love. We were full of selflessness. We were generous. We were, we were, we were in harmony with our creator, okay? He's saying, but that nature was twisted out of shape by the fall of man. That fallen nature warped and twisted with its capacity and passion for every way but God's remains in us. What it's saying there is that there is this nature, this disease that lives inside of us. It has the capacity to do everything. It has the passion to go after every single thing in this world except for what God desires. That nature destroys us. And then, but this is the good news. What God in Christ has done is to add a new nature or a new creation. Those who believe are made alive in Christ with a new capacity for goodness, which we did not possess before. Now, at last, we have both the desire and capacity to respond to God. And what he's saying there is that when we have a begin a relationship with Jesus, that spirit of Christ comes inside of us and gives us and makes us into a new creation. That's how Paul is talking here. He's talking as a new creation saying, so that when I do sin, it's not me, it's sin doing it in me. Because he's a new person. 
Like you are no longer under condemnation as a believer in Christ. When we follow Jesus, this problem that we, that we forever, we had never had an answer to, the person who, who struggles with their own frustrations, the person who struggles with anger or with selfishness or abandonment or hate or loneliness or depression or disease, all of these things they had no power over. When they believe in Christ, they become a new creation and now they have the capacity through the Spirit of God to be able to step away from those things and tell that nature no. It's the first time ever that's available for people. So we move on in verse 21 and he says this, I have discovered, discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many of you can identify with that? I want to do the right things, but I always end up screwing up somehow. Verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power. And the word for power there is like law. So he's saying there's two laws. There's the law of God and there's the law of sin. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. War. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he goes on to this. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Now, there's a couple images we have on the screen here. I want you to understand this is, this is like, sin is like poison. It's like a disease, right? It's like this, this, this skull and crossbones. It's this biohazard. It's like Mr. Yuck. Stay away from him, right? As a kid, I grew up like this, you know, like with the little bottles. I have, I don't know why. I have, I have this, this, this fond memory of Mr. Yuck. I thought he was really cute. I don't know, but... But I don't know why, but for some, I had to put them on there. But look, this is what sin is like in our lives. It is a disease. If you've ever seen these movies like zombie films, it's a virus that makes you, it controls you, and you become the worst possible version of yourself. And yes, we can fight against it. Yes, there are, you know, like medications and there's self-help groups out there. But I will tell you something, that we are never fully rid of the disease that destroys us and destroys everyone around us until we have this relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that can suppress it, right? Like the relationship with God. And so when we have all of this here, right, he says at the end, he goes, he says, who can free me from this body of death? What the picture there is, is of a Roman capital punishment. Romans, back in the day, they, were, they, had, they, they liked to invent. They liked to invent creative ways of like, killing people for their crimes, okay? One of them we know of is his crucifixion. That's what happened to Jesus and other criminals. They were given a death penalty. Well, for somebody who murdered another individual, but they weren't deserving of the death penalty, there was another crime that they had, or another punishment that they gave. They would actually chain the dead body of the person that they killed to them, and they were forced to walk around the rest of their life with that body attached to them. Okay, So when Paul is saying, who will free me from this body of death, it alludes to this, to this picture of a rotting, like decaying corpse that is attached to him. Imagine that. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. I am forgiven, but I have to carry around this dead body of my sinful nature, this life, this old life carries along with me. That's what he's saying. Who will free me from this chain, this horrible punishment? Ah, but there is hope. There is hope. And this is the best part of this message. The best part of the verse right here, guys. Verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now you might say, Jerry, that's not very 
hopeful. He didn't end it very hopeful. Well, that's next week. Okay, next week is like the solution. And verse, chapter 8 is awesome. And we're going to talk about that next week. But the point that I want you to understand here is that Jesus is the antidote to the cure. Jesus is the antidote to, to the virus, to this disease. He is the cure to our disease. Jesus is. When we have this, this disease that's floating around that causes us to become the worst versions of ourselves and, and we're always like failing and it ter- ultimately results in this horrible worldwide population problems that we have. That brings us to our main idea of the day. <laughs> and don't, don't like stone me here. You are the problem. Jesus is the solution. You are the problem. Jesus is the solution. Now, when I say you, I'm not saying like you individually are the one at the source of the issue for, for our world's problems. But if you, if you boil it down, to remember what we said earlier, that we, our world and our community is the sum of our choices. If, we are, if, if everything we have around us is the sum of our choices, then I, myself, you are contributing to the problem. But Jesus is the solution. We're going to talk more about that solution next week. But there's a couple of things that I want you to do this week and have to apply this. Like, okay, I painted a pretty gruesome picture. I, I intentionally did that today. And I know that this message was, was you know, was like heavy weighted, okay? But we have to understand the problem. We have legislation, we've got world organizations, you know, like that send out money and relief all over the place, you know, all over the world. Like we are, we are trying to fix this problem with a solution that will not eradicate the problem at its root. I mean, people have said this, right? I, I've heard people say you cannot legislate morality, and what that means is you can have all the laws you want. You can, you can ban same-sex marriage. You can, you can, you can ban you know, illegal contraband and weapons. You can say that human trafficking is illegal. You can, you know, you can say that, that, that cocaine and, and various illicit drugs you know, are going to be, you know, like you're going to get hefty fines you know, and you're going to be in jail for the rest of your life. You can do that. But you're not going to stop people from doing the things that they want to do, even if they're facing life in prison or the death penalty. People will do what they want to do regardless. Why? It's not because the law isn't strong enough. It's not because the prisons aren't, aren't, aren't big enough. It's not because the penalties or the punishments aren't, aren't powerful enough. It's because it's an issue of the heart. There is, there is this disease, this nature that is born in every single one of us. And until we understand that we cannot fix the problems of this world without the solution, which is Jesus, which transforms our soul, which gives us the ability to say no to our urges to hurt people, to be angry all the time, to be selfish, until we, can, until we move into that arena and understand that and become a church that lives that principle, we will never be able to make a dent in the problems. Now, I said the United States has a million, has a million violent crimes and that there's, I think it was 33 million adults and I think something like 15 million children who live in homes without food. Now, in Lawrenceville, I know that there are families who don't have food. There is a food bank in Lawrenceville that feeds families every week. That problem will never go away. It will never go away until we become a people that understand that the problem, the solution is in our hands to be able to give it to others, which is to help them understand who Jesus is. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you follow Jesus today that suddenly you're going to have like food in your cupboard. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that he cares about those things. And when you and I become 
when we become understanding that we are the problem and then we say no to our sinful nature, we can then join Jesus in becoming the solution. We have the ability to now say, I have income that you don't have. Let me share some of it with you to help you. Whether that be with an organization, whether that be with, you know, with a church, or whether that be with one person on the street. I would, I would, and this, a perfect example of this is, is when I was at uh, Citizens Bank, I was, I worked in the call center there. And I, I felt like this place is just so depressing. <laughs> I felt like every day I walked in and I just looked around and nobody seemed happy. Everyone seemed just, un, just sad and like, they just felt like their life was just not going anywhere. And it can feel that way sometimes in, in a corporate environment or especially like in a cube farm, you know. But I felt like God opened my eyes to see that there were people who were really hurting. And I, I was like, God, give me opportunities. I'm, I'm praying on the way to work. God, give me opportunities to help people. And he said, Jared, what I want you to do is I want you to ask people today if you can pray for them. And I was like, uh, okay. So I went to work, and I took out a little notepad. And, and, and I, the first person who came to my desk... I was talking to them, they asked me about something, and they were about to walk away, and I was going to let them go, because I was like, well, God, you just want me to pray for people who obviously have a, a serious need that's obvious on their face, right? And God was like, no, 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 I want you to pray for every person that you can who comes to your desk today. Okay. So I said, hey, for a second, I said, listen, it might sound strange to you, but um, is there anything I can pray for you about today? And lo and behold, that person opens up to me about a story about how their mother-in-law has cancer and is in the hospital and, you know, um, about that. So I wrote it. I said, would you mind if I pray for you, like, right now, but also if I wrote it down and, and we would, we can, I'll just pray for you the rest of this day and the week. And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. So we actually got up, went into a little office, and I closed the door, and I prayed for that person. And then I went back to work. And then a couple minutes later, somebody else walks over to my desk and tells me what they need. And I say, hey, listen, can I pray for you today? I'm, I just, I just want to help people today. And by the end of the day, guys, I had a, a, a notepad full of not just like, yeah, pray for me to be able to like get lunch tomorrow and you know, whatever. It was like, it was serious things like, yeah, I'm struggling with this, with this uh, feeling like I'm worth anything. People were opening up their hearts because I was willing to make myself and share the antidote that was in me. The thing that gives me hope, the thing that gives me life is Jesus, the Spirit of Christ living inside of me that gives me the power, the ability to say no to the things. So when there are days, and I will tell you, I succeed more in not yelling at my kids now than I, than I, than I did before. I have the ability when I, because of the Spirit of Christ in me now, when I struggle with things, when I'm tempted to, to look on the internet at things that I shouldn't be looking at, when I'm tempted to do those things, there is a power that lives inside side of me that now gives me the ability to step beyond those things and be able to move, to move out and to move away from those temptations. That same antidote that helps me, Jesus, I can now take and give to others. And that's what I did that day. And, and, and if you don't mind me, he doesn't mind me saying it. We have a friend here, Drew Montgomery, who is now here at our church because I met him and shared just the good news of Jesus with him there. And he came to my desk one day and asked me, and he said, he said, you, know, I, you said you, you go to a church, and you're a pastor there. And, and we were just talking, and he started coming to the church. And his life has been transformed because of the hope that is found in Jesus. He, Jesus is the antidote to all the problems. So the application today is, what can I do? What can you do? I want you first to stop and say, I'm going to stop being a part of the problem and become a part of the solution. We have this problem in our world. We now need to become a part of the solution, but you can only do that by knowing Jesus. But what could happen if we, what could happen if we, if we did this as a church? What if, what would our community look like? What would our church look like? 
What would it look like if, if we all stopped being a part of the problem and became part of the solution? Think about it. Hurts would be forgiven in homes. Let's start on the basis level in your home. The struggles you're having with your teenage son or daughter or maybe you had a fight with your husband or your wife or maybe a friend. There's just something that lingers there. There can be forgiveness there. You can feel a belonging. There's an acceptance. There's a love that you can feel. Generosity. We will become people who are generous, people who can rebuild communities. If you drive, if you're tired of driving up and down streets in your city and seeing homes that look like bombs went off in them, you can be a part of that by becoming the solution, by giving of your finances, being generous. We can respond to problems. I want to be the church that when, when a hurricane hits and there's devastation, I want to be a church that has the money in the bank that can say, we're going to respond and we're going to send $5,000 or whatever. There is a great story that I heard, Church of the Highlands, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but Chris Hodges, their pastor, they live, their budget at their church, they have margins. So, so they intentionally keep their finances in check with their budgets so that they build savings so that they can respond. They sent a few million dollars to the, to the, um, the, the, the tornado, I forget the name of the town in Missouri, but they, they sent millions of dollars there because they were saving it for those opportunities. I want to be a church like that. A church that has generous people, not just so we can have money in the bank, but that we can respond to the needs of our community. I see us being a church that when we realize that we are not the problem anymore, that Jesus living inside of us, we can mentor children in schools, people who don't have. We can stand in the gap where the kids who don't have moms or dads who are not responding, well, we can become the parents. We can become the people to step into the schools and we will mentor or we can tutor kids and help them get where God wants them to be, even if their own parents or their own families are not supporting them. I would love for us one day to build a community center, a place where people can come and we can teach classes, marriage seminars, where people can come throughout the week. This is what can happen if we as a people stop becoming part of the problem, accept the relationship that our creator wants to have with us and he gives us the ability to partner with him. I would love for us to be one day to be an incubator for leaders around the world, for people to come here and to get training, to say, I have a passion, I have a dream I have a dream that God put in my heart to go and start a, a, a human trafficking you know, safe house in the middle of Berlin, Germany. I would love for that person to come here and say, we'll give you a space to work on that. You help us at the church and we'll give you an opportunity to work on your dream. And when you're ready, we'll send you out. I would love to have a church for our church to be like that. And these are, the, the possibilities are endless, guys. The possibilities are endless for our world, for our community. There is a problem that needs to be reset. And the only way that we can reset ourselves, our hearts, is through a relationship with Jesus. Would you guys close your eyes with me? Two questions I want to ask you today are, what is God saying to you today? If you find yourself here today and you are a believer, you say, I do follow Jesus what is God saying to you? Is he challenging you to, to resist that disease, that sinful nature? Is he challenging you to be more generous? Is he challenging you to... Maybe he wants to use you like he did me at, at, uh, at work. Maybe he's pulling your attention right now towards, towards your family, your kids, or your relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. Maybe you feel like you're the person who says, I don't, I don't know 
I don't feel like I have much purpose in life now that my kids are gone. I, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm checking out. Maybe you feel like your life, you're just trying to escape. It's just one entertainment option after another. Today, I want you to respond to God by just talking to him, confessing to him in your own words. You can just, in your mind, in your words, you can just confess to him the things that, just say, I acknowledge what you're doing, God. I see that. For those of you who, who say, I'm not a, a Christian. I don't, I don't ascribe to this religion. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the antidote to the problem in our world. And if you're sitting here today and you maybe you felt something like a tingling in your heart, there's been just some maybe, it's almost like butterflies. Like it's, that's, that's God speaking to you. He's challenging you. He's trying to say, I'm throwing an olive branch out here. I want to know you. If you're tired of your life being full of struggle and pain, if you're tired of being over and over again, doing the things that you hate, being the worst version of yourself. Jesus is calling you today and saying, I want to make you the best version of yourself. I want to give you an opportunity to start fresh, to begin today with the reset. The reset is an opportunity for you to start over. Jesus came to earth, gave his life willingly for us. And all he said to start over, to be able to have a new life, to be that new creation that Paul was talking about. All you have to do is just confess your sin to say, I recognize that there is this disease living inside of me and I am sorry for the way that I've acted, the things that I have done. And I choose now to follow Jesus. And when you do that, the Bible tells us that there is a new creation. Your soul comes alive again for the first time. And you now have the capacity to be able to fight against that, that sin that's warring in your mind. If, that, if you want that today, if you want that opportunity to start right now, all you have to do is raise your hand. I'm just going to count to three and give you a chance to just raise your hand. We've had 15 people give their hearts to Jesus since we started this church a month ago. 15 people. And I am so excited every time that someone raises their hand or checks it off on their card. And that is available for you today. We can get you the help that you need and get you plugged in. If that's you today, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Is there anyone in the room right now who wants to have this relationship with Jesus? And listen, it's not raising your hand that causes this thing to happen. It's the condition of your heart. Would you guys all just pray? Let's all stand up together with your eyes still closed. Can we all just repeat this out loud together as a sign of unity as a church? And maybe if you didn't raise your hand, you don't have to, you can still join with us even if you didn't raise your hand. Let's pray this together. Close your eyes. Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for giving in to my human condition. Forgive me of everything I've done wrong. Forgive me for my choices. And I now choose to follow you. Give me hope. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope that you were blessed by it. To stay up to date on what Encounter Church is doing throughout the week, please follow us on social media. You can find us at Facebook at slash EncounterPGH, Twitter at EncounterPGH, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.